Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with author, addiction counselor, and founder of Recovery is a New Black, Michelle Smith. Thanks for coming on the show, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I think we have a lot to cover here. uh, But first, I just want to hop right into it. And I want to ask you a little bit about what things were like before you got sober. How did you actually get into recovery? I got into recovery after the birth of my second child. Okay. I fell into the wine mommy culture. Mm. So I started noticing that my drinking was ramping up as soon as I started getting survival bottles of wine from friends and family when I started having children. Like, you know, the guys get the cigars and the women get the champagne and the Prosecco and, and the wine. And I started seeing those survival bottles of wine in a different light than I ever had before. Hmm. And that drinking took me to socially consuming to within three years, binge drinking secretly and hiding by myself. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was a very progressive disease, but it was, it was, It was very quick at the same time because I had so many moving parts going on. I had lost both my parents. Mm. I had just had my first stroke. I was diagnosed with postpartum depression with my second child. I was working in two different, I had two different jobs in two different maximum security prisons that I was working in. And my husband was traveling for work in the military. So there was a (laughs) lot of things going on, a lot of moving parts. And Mm -hmm. I didn't have time to really do the bereavement work, do the trauma work and learn how to be a new mom. As soon as I lost a mom of my own, when I was trying to figure this whole mother thing out, I, I had lost mine. So there was a lot going on and alcohol fell into my lap and I became very, became very susceptible of it given what I was going through. And it was a tool that I picked up. I knew I had a predisposition to alcoholism in my family, but because I had lost my mom and dad, I didn't have very much clarity into the depths of the family disease. Okay. I told, stay away from it. It's no good for you. You're better than that. But I didn't see it firsthand of how significant and damaging it is to my family. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Wow. Yeah. And it sounds like you were dealing with just like, like you said, a lot of moving parts, sure. A ton of stress, uh, and then having kids on, on top of all that. So 
were there any hints like before all of this started, like in your younger years that I know you said this is, you know, it's something that's in your family or there's a disposition to it, but were there any hints that like, okay, maybe I, you know, should stay away from this kind of, or was there anything leading up to what you just described that might've said like, you know, maybe I should kind of put the brakes on the drinking? There was a little bit of kind of, you know, whispers until you hear the screams of just working in a correctional facility. I would see people come in with their second DUI or I'd be working with a woman that is struggling with an opiate addiction. And so I kind of saw saw similarities within Mm -hmm. my drinking but of course it's one of those things that oh this is so far from ever becoming my reality this is never going to happen to me this is their story Mm -hmm. and I don't you know I haven't crossed the boundaries that I've set for myself in regards to my consumption of alcohol so reverse engineering and picking up the breadcrumbs absolutely there was those hidden messages that I personally failed to ignore but they were there I just wasn't ready to see those things yet. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Absolutely. So you you start drinking, you said over a period of three years, this just like really ramps up to where you're you're drinking a lot more, you're drinking alone, I believe you said. Uh, it's not a social thing anymore. And so what happens from there? I end up in the hospital. Hmm. 0.43 blood alcohol level, three bottles of wine within 40 minutes. And my husband found me outside, blacked out with both my children beside me crying. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So you, you go into the hospital and do you enter treatment or, or what takes place after that? You know, the CPS got involved. Because when I had gotten, woke up, had gotten the detox protocol and a woman with a state badge walks in and it was CPS. And as mandated reporters, the police, the ambulance and the attending physician of the the emergency department had to do what they had to do. Mm -hmm. And of course, my disease is telling me how dare them. I'm a great mother. You know, I would never endanger them. Well, I did. And I was responsible for fixing the damage that had been done. And so with the gentle nudge of Child Protective Services, I did voluntarily agree to enter inpatient treatment. Okay. And that was also with the, with the, the mandate from my husband saying, this is your last draw. This mm-hmm. has become a serious issue. And he told me people used to feel sorry for you. And now they feel sorry for me because I stay. And that was heartbreaking to hear that, that I am, people can drink, but Michelle, you can't, you're not one of those people. You can't drink. And that's really, that was really hard to hear. But I I looked at this as an opportunity to get well, to really sort out things in my life that are still negatively impacting my day-to-day routine and just utilizing as again a tool the alcohol that no longer served a purpose for me and so i you know it was really hard being a clinician and knowing the ins and outs of inpatient treatment and me going in as a patient versus somebody who works there as a professional was very interesting for me and of course right when i walk in to treatment they think i'm an intern And I'm like, no, I had to swallow my pride. I'm a patient. And so that was, you know, I would, I wish that I could tell you that that was 
my redemption story and that I never drank again. Mm -hmm. 30 days after treatment, I drank again and ended up back in the hospital. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so, so where did, I, I mean, let's just continue the story. I mean, because it sounds like it just, it is progressive, right? I absolutely believe that my story says that 100%, it got worse every single time. So you end up back in the hospital. End up back in the hospital. CPS comes back into my life again, after I jumped through all the hoops Wow. and, yeah. you know, coming from a very, strong, educated, wealthy, all of the things we think does not, you know, we're not, mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're, we're immune, right? Sure. And so this disease does not discriminate. And so the, my family dynamic was like, well, if treatment didn't work, what are we supposed to do? This was supposed to be a cure-all. Now, mm -hmm. what do we do with her? And, you know, people just started turning away naturally. And I thought it was more of because they're too good for me or I'm too broken and I'm stuck, I'm stuck in that shame cycle yeah. when really it was, it was looking at it from the opposite perspective of they don't know how to help me. They don't know how to not feed into my addiction and be around if alcohol is going to be around. They didn't want to trigger me and put me in a position where I was going to relapse. And so people were just really confused as was I is that this isn't supposed to be how my life turns out. And I don't want to be a closet drunk, drinking coffee, you know, my wine out of a coffee mug, volunteering at my kids' school. This isn't what I envisioned for my life. Like I'm not out sleeping around, bar hopping, having fun. I'm literally drinking in my closet alone as I run upstairs to tell my family I'm going to fold another load of laundry, chug as much as I can out of my bottle to run back down to my life. Wow. And until my secret life and my real life collided again at my child's bingo night at school where I blacked out, ended up back in the hospital and CPS again came back into my life. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think at that point I surrendered to the fact that I can't do this. I was so convinced that I could moderate, regulate, get back to where I was. I was so obsessed mentally that I didn't know if I wanted to live if alcohol couldn't be a part of my life because the more I had been drinking, it's one of those things like birds of a feather flock together. And so everywhere I went and everyone I associated with consumed alcohol naturally. Right. And so I felt like, how am I going to do anything? How am I going to function? How am I going to socialize? How am I going to de-stress? How am I going to manage my anxiety if I don't have this one tool? And so I just honestly surrendered. I asked myself, would my life drastically improve if I took alcohol out of the equation? And absolutely, without a doubt, my quality of life would get better. Sure, yeah. Is alcohol adding value to your life, Michelle? Absolutely not. It is life-sucking, not life-giving. And I knew that if I gave up this one thing, it left endless possibilities of things that I still could enjoy. Hmm. And making that commitment that no matter what, I will never pick up again. And that is a promise that I made to myself in 2016. And I, to this day, have stayed strong and committed to living my best life. And that starts with me showing up and being authentically me and alcohol has no place here.
And that's awesome. I'm such a better person, a better mom, a better friend, a better leader without it in my life. Hmm. Wow. Wow. That's pretty awesome. You know, I, I think one thing that I really love about your story, number one is just, I know it progressed so fast, but I think it's great that you were able to kind of like take that moment and have, I think we all have these moments of clarity. It's just like, do we really take advantage of them? Right. And, and one of your moments of clarity, you actually asked yourself, like, would this benefit my life if I put it to the side? And, uh, you know, I probably did that at some point, but I didn't listen to whatever the answer was initially. And, uh, I, you know, I needed some more, some more pain and some more motivation, I guess. But the other thing I really like that you said right there, Michelle, is just that you made a commitment to this thing because, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm in a 12 step program and a lot of the times, uh, in, re or in recovery and in 12 step programs, we hear one day at a time, right. Which I think has a lot of, uh, you know, has various meanings, just like of staying in the moment and, and being present. But, you know, in, in terms of, you know, uh, drinking or using substances, it's like, okay, let's just focus on today. And it was shared with me pretty early on, like, hey, if this is something you really want, like, you should really make a commitment to it, you know, and, um, and so I really love that you said that. I think that's so important that I don't need to be thinking about how am I going to stay sober for 30 years, but I should probably make a real a real commitment to this deal. So, uh, you CPS comes back into the picture again and, and you make this commitment. And so what is your, what does your recovery look like initially? What, what do you actually do to start making these changes in your life? What I started doing, you know, once I made that commitment, being an adult orphan, I knew that I was digging myself a grave and I know what it feels like to be parentless. And knowing that this was my only way and knowing that I know what it feels like to, you know, again, not have that, that leadership and that those parents there, I never want my children to ever experience the pain and the grief that I feel. Yeah. And that wasn't even by choice of why they're no longer here. It was, you know, accidental, but the pain is still real. And so for me to continuously tell myself, that I'm not hurting anybody, that I'm the one consuming this and no one can control me. And people are just wanting, you know, they're telling me I can't drink as they're sipping on their beverage, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so what my, what my program really looked like is I got involved in 12 step. I went to women's meetings and I surrounded myself with people who could get it because I knew if I could go into a room every day, I would have at least an hour of sobriety I would be able to make positive connections with people who get me and no one's going to judge me for anything. I don't have to hold back one thing about my life because these people are my people. Regardless, there's a lot of differences, but I had to dig deep into the similarities within our journeys mm -hmm. to know that I judge myself enough for everybody. Sure. And these people aren't here to do that. These people are here to get well and to build community and to recover together. And so that was a big piece of my program to begin with. It did get okay. extremely difficult as, you know, the mother role, you know, adds onto the plate with sports and with, you know, my career, that there's always an excuse. And so what I really did is dig deep into therapy and really building my connection with exercise, 
with cognitive behavioral therapy, with addictions counseling, continuing with the AA groups here and there. And I think what was really big too is I started to recover out loud. And I did that because I didn't see a lot of content and community of people in the the platforms of social media. And so I'm like, I cannot be the only mother trying to keep everything afloat. I feel like I'm losing my mind, even though I look like I have it all together. Mm -hmm. I can't be the only one struggling with it. Yeah. And so it's just one of those things that there's still so much shame and stigma around it that people and women just don't want to talk about it. And so I'm like, well, if I'm struggling, there has to be other people. And so I started getting on Facebook, Instagram, downloading podcasts and discovered this whole sober community, this whole world of people that are out there. Mm -hmm. And that did one of a few things that really created solidarity for me. It created like just these connections that people all around the world and different paths of life, like have these similarities. And I, I was held accountable for showing up. I wanted to show up. And so that community kept growing and I began to see a greater need for the mommies and the underserved population of women who were really struggling. And so I created a a private Facebook group for women only called recovery is the new black. And it's grown to 5,000 women right now. And that's where I can come in and share some of my, my experiences, some of the things that work for me and bring in guest speakers and have people just utilize that group as a personal like journal. They can post day one, day two, day three, let's celebrate victories. Let's talk about barriers and just have a place, a safe place for women to land to have these conversations that other people just aren't going to get. Yeah. That has helped really keep me accountable and show up every day for these women because I need them just as much as they need me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, I was just having a, uh, a conversation with a guy today that's that relapsed recently and he's, you know, he's coming back into uh, recovery and we were chatting and, you know, we weren't having the conversation about, you know, recovering out loud, but we were just having the conversation, you know, he was just saying, you know, I feel like I need to, like, my parents don't know uh, that I've relapsed. And, um, and he's gone through a lot of the same things uh, with CPS and stuff that you were just talking about, you know, with his kids and, and they have custody. And he's like, this is why I haven't told them. And, and I think, you know, the more people know it for me, and I think you're agreeing with this, the better, because that accountability is there. And it's not, and someone might say, well, you need to stay sober for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, like it helps to know that there are these layers of, of people and connections that are, I don't want to say counting on me, but you know, like prob- probably want me to stay sober, you know, and I, and I'm going to think a little bit more uh, about that. If, if the thought of drinking or using really starts to get you know, get planned out in my mind, which thankfully it, it hasn't for a long time. I'm really grateful for that. You know, you use the word struggling. I want to ask, you, you mentioned a few different things just about, you know, parenting and, and balancing that with recovery and everything early on. If you could really pin down one thing that you struggled with early on in recovery, what would you say that that would be? Making time for me. Wow, and okay. what that looked like is not manicures and bubble baths. It sure. was about 
motherhood is about finding pockets of time. Mm -hmm. And what look, it looks different before children, post children in the sense that I don't have hours of time to devote to myself. My expectations of what I was capable of doing before children is not realistic. And I expected to be able to do everything the same way after kids. And I had to really, in early recovery, look at those expectations I was having on myself and readjust accordingly because I was falling short every single time. And my season of life was different. And I didn't take into consideration that that is going to look different and learning to have grace and forgive myself and know that I'm doing the best that I can. And I'm the only person judging myself. Hmm. And so pockets of time looks like while the kids are napping, I'm going to be plugging personal development in my ears while I'm unloading the dishwasher. I am going to wake up 15 minutes early because I don't want to wake up to my kids. I want to wake up for my kids. And what that means is they would come running around, jumping on my face, waking me up in the morning. And I wasn't waking up on the offense. I was waking up on the defense. I was already upset because of the way I was waking up. And so the miracle morning of 15 minutes of reading out of the big book, or a devotional, or the daily affirmations, having a cup of coffee, watching the sunrise in peace is all I need to start my day by bookending. Start with intention and I end with gratitude. And those are pockets of time throughout the day. Plugging in personal development as I'm driving my, my son to soccer practice. It's not, not going to look the same way, but I can still do it if I get creative enough. Hmm. Oh, and I don't, God. you know, like, to, I don't get to read a lot of books anymore, but I can listen yeah. to them on Audible. Oh, for sure. So Absolutely. I, I yeah. love that. Yeah. And uh, pockets of time. That's such a great way to, to describe that. And, and I think moms and really anyone can probably benefit from that, that, you know, I definitely want to make sure that we focus on the moms because I'm sure there are uh, a lot of moms that are going to listen to this or watch this and, um, you know, struck, have struggled with a lot of the same stuff or maybe struggling with it right now. What I also really appreciate, you know, I am a, I'm a tactics guy. So I like, I love like in, in meeting recovery meetings and stuff like talking about just like general principles and, and great ideas. But I also like when people get specific and tell me like, cause I'm, I'm the same way, like, you know, podcast, you know, while I'm doing dishes or while I'm doing something else, you know, and, and I think that's a really great way to describe that pockets of time. I really love that. So, you know, you, you mentioned that uh, you were going to women's meetings early on and, and that, that was really helpful. And you just mentioned, you know, the recovery is the new black Facebook group where you're able to connect with these women. These women are connecting with each other. Why is it important for women to find a group to connect with? Do you think? Everybody needs connection. And I think we, motherhood is so lonely hmm. and, you know, we're doing the best we can with what we have to work with, but we don't, we don't have a clue what we're doing. There's no 
instruction manual that comes with this kid when you get it home from the hospital and you're supposed to like raise it without messing it up. <laughs> it's just, we have no idea what we're doing. We're, we're instilling some of the values and some of the beliefs that we had. Our partners are doing the same and we're just trying to figure this whole thing out as we go. And, you know, there's a lot of really fun things and there's a lot of really, you know, difficult seasons of parenting. And I think that having a safe space to be able to share victory struggles and just get out of our own heads. It's so frustrating with the healthcare system of let's just do a six weeks post-op appointment and we check the baby, but nobody asks you about you. How are you feeling? How was yeah. your incision? Are you sleeping? How was your mental health? Okay. Yeah. And we provide that for people. We want to know honestly, how are you doing? How are you surviving? Because we all have been there. We get it. And so without judgment, there's this space where you can just say, breastfeeding sucks. I get breast is best, but I'm going to lose my damn mind. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just having real conversations that other people just don't get is, is, is so important to me, not only to the, to the women that I work with. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so to get a little more specific, like what are some of the main barriers that you see women that you work with? What, what are they f facing? What are the, some of the biggest problems that they're dealing with? I would say finding those pockets of time for self-care and never yeah. really looking at self-care in that way. Mm -hmm. I think when, you know, you hear, well, what are you doing for yourself? You know, it's, oh, well, I don't really have time to get a pedicure. I'd rather, you know, spend the extra money on better formula. We're such givers and mm -hmm. parenthood, motherhood, and, 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 you know, specifically is all about service and sacrifice. And we give everything that we have because we're told that it's selfish if we don't. And to be selfless is not okay. And so that's where we need to change the narrative that we're better mothers when we recharge, when we fill our tank, even though it feels like we're not. We feel like we're taking away from our family and our children because we're out doing something different. Mm. And we have to just get over the fact that once we recharge our batteries, we are a better wife, partner, mother, all of the things. Yeah, I, I love that. Well, yeah, and, and that makes so much sense. And, you know, I think especially early on in this deal, it was tough for me to understand. And this isn't just like a, you know, a concept in recovery. This is really a, a concept in life, which is what you're kind of touching on. It's you know, the better that I take care of myself, it's not a selfish thing. Because the better I take care of myself, the better I can take care of everyone else, right? And that's in terms of, of anything in terms of my health, personal development, uh, you know, finances, you know, all, all those things. So I think that's, that's really important to think about. And that makes a lot of sense, like just um, figuring out how to use, you know, where to find that time and how to use it. And, and I can see how that, that can be a, a struggle. And I'm, I'm guessing that's something that you guys spend a lot of time uh, working on within the group. Um, and I'm sure that in the group, there have been a lot of women, probably including yourself, that had really benefited from having this connection during uh, you know, this crazy time that we're going through right now uh, with this pandemic and every, you know, most everyone's on lockdown. You know, there has been a, a surge in alcohol sales during the pandemic. 
a huge rise in, you know, overdoses, which unfortunately I don't think is surprising. You know, I mean, I've given a little bit of thought to where kind of I would be mentally and, and just in my addiction, uh, you know, if I was still out there doing what I did during all this time, it would not be good. You know, it would not be good at all. But, you know, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Like, how have you seen this pandemic affecting women who struggle with, uh, with substance abuse specifically? It has skyrocketed. It is so fascinating to me early on in the beginning of this pandemic that it is illegal to get a haircut, hmm. but you can get curbside cannabis right. and liquor delivery right. services. Yeah, yeah. And I get it. I am a huge advocate for harm reduction. I know what it's like to have the emergency departments completely overloaded with alcohol detox protocols. Mm. They, this is do or die for a lot of people. And if we didn't shut down the liquor stores, there would be people that would die because these people are dependent on it. And at the same time, we are creating alcohol abuse by making it so accessible and glamorizing it. And every time I open up my social media, there is a meme about parenting and homeschooling and wine. There is a Zoom link for a quarantine meetup with moms. And, you know, it's stuff that like I would have seen and laughed and giggled because it's, it's, it's relatable. Right funny, it's cute, it's sexy, it's all of the things, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it's not so glamorous when you can't stop drinking it. And that's where it got for me. And so what I've seen is an increase in substance abuse treatments. All of the residential treatment programs around here are completely, they have wait lists, all of them. The emergency departments are at capacity and the Zooms that I facilitate and that I attend, hundreds of people are on, which is fantastic that these people are reaching out. Yeah. I drive by liquor stores and people are waiting around the corners on their little squares for their drink. Wow. And this has been huge for these women of being diagnosed with co-occurring disorders and really struggling with postpartum depression, anxiety, you know, PTSD, mm. all of the things. And so they are dealing with two opposite ends of the spectrum. And when they can't get in to see their primary care doctor right. or their psychiatrist for a medication or an evaluation for their psychotropic medications, they're finding the resources of drinking as a way to get through temporarily. And as we all know, that's a recipe for disaster. You shouldn't be mixing mind altering chemicals with pharmaceuticals you know, and it, it's just creating more problems for these women that are already struggling to figure out where they fit in to this modern day motherhood without alcohol being accessory. Mm. And so there's so much stigma and there's so much glamour around this culture that I go down the aisles of Target and it's all about skinny vodka and right, right. apple cider. And they, the marketing is absolutely brilliant oh, on how incredible. they're, yes, yeah. they're targeting to women because the guys in football and their Budweiser and mm -hmm. the old Scotch guys, like they already have all of their, their consumers down to, sure. you know, a T 
but they see these women, these exhausted women that are looking for connection that can't leave their home. And they are very good about tailoring their marketing directly to the women who they want to buy their products and it's working. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, you were just mentioning the meetings and how many people you're seeing on. What's amazing to me is, you know, when I hop on some of these recovery meetings, the amount of new people that I see coming on a meeting. And on one hand, I'm like, man, I don't know if I like, that's awesome. Like, I don't know if I would have done that. On the other hand, I think it's making, I, I mean, I'm curious to know what you think. I think it's making things more accessible. I think that, you know, when I was doing my research about like going to meetings or, or going to treatment or whatever, cause I definitely did that. You know, I definitely was Googling and uh, of course, looking for all the shortcuts, you know, like, you know, how to get sober without AA and, you know, all this, you know, all this stuff. And, but I, I think that for me, maybe like, had I been able to pop into a Zoom recovery meeting, even with my camera off, you know, and just kind of like be the creeper with the camera off and, and listen in, I don't know, maybe I would have heard something. What, what do you think? Is it becoming more accessible to people? Totally accessible. Okay. It's amazing. I tell all of the ladies, be a fly on the wall. Exactly what you said. Turn off your video. Yeah, I shouldn't say creeper. I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I totally get what you mean, though. <laughs> they should. And that's, that's the thing is that they're in a different place where I was. And I have to remember that. I can't shake them and say, like, don't screw up your life like I did. Hmm. But people told me that. And I think I do the same thing. I had to go out and do more research and collect more information and more evidence that supported that alcohol is not bringing value to my life. Hmm. And everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. It wasn't going to happen with a DUI. It wasn't going to happen with me going into a correctional facility. I've right. worked in a max maximum security prison for 20 years. That's not going to scare me. That wasn't supposed to be my story. My story was mama bear. You want to try to threaten to take away my kids? Hell no. Like that's not going to happen. And so we can't predict how it's going to happen and how we're going to hit rock bottom. But if we continuously drink because we're running from something or we're trying to avoid a painful situation, if we're not drinking because we love the taste, I drank simply to black out. Yeah. So yeah. that was it. There was one purpose and it was to completely escape my own reality. Mm -hmm. And so for these women that aren't quite there yet, I am so happy you're here and that you've reached out. Here's a mocktail recipe, just in case you're interested in what alcohol-free living has to offer. No pressure, meet them where they're at. Here's the Zoom link to this amazing meeting that we're gonna be talking about all things motherhood. If you wanna join us, we'd love to have you. Mm. And so just creating a space where I see my own analytics. I have 55,000 reaches and 500 shares on posts and I only might get a thousand likes. Mm -hmm. These people are watching what we're putting out there in podcasts sure. and our social media, like our interviews, they're listening. I was that creeper. I mm -hmm. was the one on the fly on the wall. I was taking it all in and trying to figure out and envision what my life would look like without my best friend that was killing me. Yeah. And so there are so many people that, yeah, sure, this pandemic is really, really hard, 
but I'm trying to see the opportunities that we do have to make things as accessible as possible. People are working behind the scenes trying to create these Zooms and these you know, virtual platforms to be able to bring this to the comfort of your own home so you don't have to worry about a babysitter. If your license got revoked, no sweat. You don't have to drive anywhere. So it's really taking down as many barriers as possible for you to just say, why not? What do I have to lose? I might yeah. gain something or a seed might be planted that will flourish later. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I really appreciate the way you describe the approach, you know, and the approach is it because like if the approach comes from someone that's like, oh, alcohol, you know, you're drinking this, you're doing that, you know, and is super judgmental. And like, I didn't want to hear any of that, you know, and, and uh, so I, I think just the approach like, hey, this is here, uh, you know, it's available to you. Come check it out. Listen in, like you said, like be the fly on the wall. Uh, you know, I think the best, you know, one of the best uh, suggestions I got, of course, was look for the similarities, like you were talking about in your your own story, not the differences, because I I did focus on the differences for so long. I think that's that's really, um, you know, I think that's the most helpful approach. You know, and um, with these meetings being so accessible, I think it's removing barriers, not only for new people, but, you know, I've been around a few years now and I'll just tell you, like, I'm attending more meetings than ever. And you're, you know, I'm thinking of your pockets of time. There are times where I am doing other stuff, but I can be on a meeting and listening in and I, I try to give, you know, all my attention whenever possible, but I, I do think it's cool that I can be in a meeting and be, um, you know, connecting and, uh, and really be getting something out of uh, just that recovery environment or community, if you will. And um, I think that's better than, than not attending a meeting at all sometimes. And I wouldn't always be able to do that, you know, if that tool wasn't there. So I think it's, uh, I think it's a great tool. And so speaking of tools, what are some of the the tools that you found most useful during this pandemic and this this lockdown that we've been in? I would say the if I were to give you three tools, I sure. would say we talked about one, which is the Zoom and the accessibility mm -hmm. to virtual platforms to avoid all things barriers. So, you know, there's a meeting going on every hour, you can plug into something. And I think that that's really important, especially during the lockdown is get connected because we all know the, the opposite of addiction is connection. It thrives, our addiction thrives in secrecy, in silence. And so we have to bring that to the surface. And you know, for me, once I had a head full of sobriety, drinking was never the same. Every single time I would relapse, I stopped looking at it as a failure and it was a lesson. And mm. I took that lesson and I pocketed it and I used it to strengthen my recovery moving forward. And our minds are the most powerful things that we own. And I had to get that right because there's so much chatter in my head all day long that, you know, if I think I can or I think I can't, I'm right. So I have to know that this is, this is the direction I'm going and this is going to make me be the most successful. So, you know, it was all, it was, I was either, were, I was learning or I was winning. 
but I was never losing. Mm -hmm. So that would be my first tip. My second tip for tools during this lockdown would be my phone. And that sounds kind of interesting, but I think our smartphones are so powerful that can be used for good. It holds all of our apps for our podcasts. It holds our phone lists for our, our sisters and brothers in recovery. It lists the apps for our sobriety trackers. We have all of our social media platforms and groups that we can check into. Our Zoom app for all of our online meetings are right there. So our phones are pretty cool. Mm -hmm. They do have a lot of things on there. And my third thing would be is I have a sober toolbox. We all kind of talk about, oh yeah, what's in your toolbox? I literally have a bag that's my sober toolbox. And in it is a stick of gum. I have essential oils. I carry my 24 hour chip with me everywhere I go because that is all I'm promised. And every morning I start off with another 24 hours. Mm. We all do. Yeah. And I have a picture of my kids. I have my good, my goodbye letter to alcohol. And those are the things that keep me in check where if I notice that I'm starting to get swirly in my head and I have right. these negative thoughts rolling through my, my head mm -hmm. or my kids start to act up or, you know, I'm scrolling social media and all I see is, you know, political posts and, you know, all about the quarantine and lockdown. I have to have something to reach for that is going to be uplifting and positive and keep me moving forward instead of stuck. Because yeah. when my mind gets stuck, I start to go into this martyr role of woe is me and yeah. well, everybody else is drinking and the world's just going to crap. So I might as well, if you can't beat them, join them. So those are the three things that have been really helpful for me. And this too shall pass. This is a season. This sucks for everybody. But if we really look at what this is doing for us, I particularly am challenging the women I work with. What are things in this pandemic that you're going to continue on with your life? Like, what have yeah. you learned? Like, I have play night with my kids and we build forts and have root beer floats. Like, I didn't get this time with my kids because I was drunk. Mm -hmm. And now I get to create these memories and sure everybody under the same roof, we're all going crazy, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. I'm actually sober through such a historic time. That's going to be in textbooks from years to come. Sure. I am living this and it's hard and we're all going to get through it. And by me being sober, there's, there's nothing like it to know that I am doing this the way that it's supposed to be done and not making the situation worse by escaping something I'm powerless over to begin with. Yeah. Well, and I think you're, you're just talking about perspective, right? Because I can look at this, uh, and a lot of the times, you know, just really where I am spiritually is going to dictate, you know, what my perspective is on things. Right. But I can look at everything that's been going on from a negative perspective and life sucks and this is going on and that's going on. Um, or I can look at it and, and I'm really grateful. Like this is just where I've been with all of it. Like, yeah, more time with family, more time to do things I enjoy and definitely more time just to, uh, again, not to be selfish, but to work on self 
so that I can become a better person and, and be more helpful to, to other people. And I'll tell you, you know, you mentioned your tools and, and you mentioned something specific when you were talking about, you know, flipping through, uh, scrolling through social media. I would say the biggest tool that has helped me really like probably just even before all this started, but definitely right now is a news diet. Yeah. Uh, just like take just it, because you can't avoid all of it, right? Like you, right. you mentioned the political stuff, like, you know, the more I get wrapped up in that, or the more I get like baited into an argument with someone on, like it is, it never, it like, I guarantee you, like no one listening to this can name one time that they've been baited into an argument over something on Facebook, political or whatever. And it ended with them walking away happy. Like it just, it does not happen. You know? nope. So I think that's been, been one of the most helpful uh, things for me, for sure. is just like taking a break from it, like not watching the news too much um, and, and kind of like just staying in my lane and, and doing what I need to do. Um, I, I do want to ask, uh, you know, about, I know you're working on a book right now that is hopefully soon to be released and yes. i believe it is titled recovery is the new black right that's correct yes okay so can you tell us a little bit about that it is my memoir it is my story oh, i wow. get so many people in my inbox and emails every single day and you know i want a place for them to go i want a place mm. for if they're sober curious if they're wanting to know my journey i've been able to direct them to podcasts and to articles and interviews but I, I want this was very therapeutic for me. It I was bet. just, wow. You know, yeah, it's kind of, yeah. I went through it and I was like, is my story that bad? Or was this legitimately enough reason <laughs> to become an alcoholic? And everyone who's read it said, yeah, Michelle, you have a pretty, pretty incredible story. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a story of my journey where it's like, here you go. Here's my heart. There's my life. This is, this is, how I got through. I want this to be your survival guide. I want you to know that it doesn't have to be like this. So yeah, that this book is just, it's incredible. It's about the motherhood. It's bereavement. It's personal development, living with postpartum depression, and really overcoming the mommy wine culture into this has become a staple in our culture and that I can survive this culture and show people and mothers that it's a freaking superpower to be a mom in sobriety mm -hmm. and have the respect from other people. And it's a story of redemption is what it is, is that I want everyone to experience the gifts of sobriety. I get so pumped up because when somebody was like, you're going to love sobriety. And I thought of all I could think of was the idea forever because forever yeah. is a really long time. It is, it is. And I never had the tools, the confidence, the stamina to ever think that this would be a lifestyle that I never want to escape from. And I am here four years later to say, I could never imagine going back to that life. Mm -hmm. I am living my best life the way I was supposed to. And if we take full advantage of our life, the one that we get, we don't need to do it over again. So that's what my book is about. It's there to inspire and empower other women to know that they can live in their truth and live authentically and show up for who they are meant to be 
and learn to love themselves and forgive themselves regardless of what's happened in their life. That's so cool. Wow. Yeah, no. And I, I can't wait for that to come out. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be interested too, because your story contains some like really specific things that, that I know a lot of women have dealt with. And a lot of women either new to sobriety, sober curious, that had been sober for a while, you know, postpartum depression. And, and so I think, you know, a lot of the times, and, and sometimes, you know, you might hear this, like in a 12 step meeting, there might be people saying like, well, you know, maybe something gets brought up in a meeting. It's like, well, what does that have to do with, um, with alcoholism or, or sobriety? And it's like, man, that is, is it in your life? Well, guess what? That's related to sobriety, Absolutely. you know, all of those things, but, but the bereavement and, and the mourning and losing family members and being, a, you know, being a mom and dealing with the CPS stuff, you know, I mean, all of that. Um, and I think that's so cool that you're telling your story because I know um, that there are going to be a, a ton of women and probably just a ton of people in recovery. that are going to find it um, really, really helpful, like it sounds they have already. Um, so before we wrap up here, Michelle, I do want to ask you if maybe, and you shared a ton of great advice. And like I said, I, lo I love how you got specific with some stuff and mentioned the pockets of time. I'm going to have to kind of steal that from you, but absolutely. What is one piece of advice that maybe you'd like to share with the sober nation? You know, fall down eight, stand up nine. I think you, you keep going until you get it right. And our addiction wants to tell us that, you know, we're stuck in that shame cycle and, you know, we're wasted goods and we've created too much havoc and damage that, that there's no way I'm ever going to get this and it's ever going to stick. And don't give up before the miracle happens because I almost did. And it would have cost me my life hmm. and I would not be living the life I have if I would have given up on myself because I may not have loved myself at that point, but I knew someday I would like myself enough to forgive myself into loving the person that I was going to become. So continue to fight because you're worth it. And there's such a beautiful life on the other side. That's awesome. I agree with you 100%. And I, I really couldn't have said that better. That's really awesome advice. So you can learn more about Michelle and Recovery is the New Black at recoveryisthenewblack.com. Thanks again for coming on the show, Michelle. Absolutely. Thank you. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.